coming up on this episode of The Hive Life. My wife and I purchased a home in Plaza Midwood uh, that had a detached garage with a room above the garage. And this was in 2015. And, you know, I, I wanted to make the room a man cave for myself. But at that point, I had two little kids. I did the responsible thing. I uh, decided not to do that because uh, I love my wife and kids very much. And <laughs> I didn't want to, you know, uh, create any, any issues there. But instead, we decided just to put that room on Airbnb to see how it would do. And next thing we know... This 200-square-foot room above our gar- garage uh, is paying the mortgage in our house in Midwood. And we're like, okay, wow, there, there's something here. Welcome to The Hive Life, where we pull back the curtain on Spherical Media, a company based in Charlotte, North Carolina, with a team of former journalists that create beautiful, impactful stories that connect with your audience. Thanks for joining us here for another episode of the Hive Life Podcast. I'm Jared Latch with Tim Baer, co-founders of Spiracle Media. Often we get to talk to founders of other companies, and that's the case here with Amir Dukic. Uh, Amir is a founder and CEO at Rabu, a full-service experience management company that partners with property owners and investors within the short-term rental economy. And we'll let him explain more in a moment. Amir, it's great to see you. Thank you guys for having me. Absolutely. Now, now, you've been a part of a number of different startup and, and entrepreneurial ventures over the last several years, including with Rabu, which you founded in 2017. Tell us more about Rabu and, and why you decided to launch the idea. Yeah, so I, I guess maybe I'll take even a step back uh, to kind of talk about my background because I think it helps. Uh, so I came to, to Charlotte in '04, went to school uh, at UNCC, got an engineering degree and did that for a handful of years and honestly found to not enjoy it. I just wasn't happy. Uh, just, it just wasn't my thing. It just wasn't, my, my, my passion wasn't there. Uh, right around that same time period, um, once I really was kind of going through, uh, through, in my mind was going through, okay, what do I want to do with my life? This is not it. I thought I wanted to be an engineer. I'm not enjoying it. What's next for me? I found out about this startup uh, in town uh, called Kick, K-Y-C-K. It was a soccer technology platform that a local serial entrepreneur started, Mac Lackey. Uh, and being originally from Europe, I'm like soccer. Yes, this is this is. I need to get I need to get involved here. Uh, so I reached out to Mac. I said, Mac, hey, I know you started a startup. I'd love to help out in any way. I want to be an entrepreneur. You know, what can I do to help? Uh, and Mac, being the you know the, the founder that he is, is like, oh yeah, you, you know, love to always could use some help. How about you start and provide us some support here and there. Um, just get your feet wet. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. So I started doing some support for Mac and Kick. Initially, honestly, as a free free intern while still working on my engineering job. And I think that's the first time I ran across you mm-hmm. you and uh, you, Jared and Tim. Uh, you guys, I think, had an office space in our old Kick office space there for a little bit, which is we did small our, our world. first uh, our first office was there with Kick and, yeah. and Mac. Yeah, and now it's uh, yeah. now it's Lincoln Kitchen, right? It's been converted. It's that's uh, right. It's an awesome spot now, but yeah, crazy, crazy small world. So I ended up joining Kick full-time after, you know, Max saw that, you know, I had some talent, uh, joined Kick full-time uh, initially as a kind of an operations associate. And as I was there, I kept asking for more responsibility, more responsibility, more responsibility, ended up working my way up to be the VP of operations at Kik, Um and helped in the process of Kick actually getting acquired by a company called Sport Engine knowing that within a month later, uh, Kick was, uh, sorry, Sport Engine was going to get acquired by NBC Sports. So uh, I went through that transition with Mac uh, and a couple of other team members at Kick. Uh, and while I was at Kick, at Kick and going through that transition, my wife and I purchased a home in Plaza Midwood uh, that had a detached garage with a room above the garage. And this was in 2015. 
Um, and, you know, I, I wanted to make the room a man cave for myself. But at that point, I had two little kids. Uh, I think they were six months old and two years old at that time. I think, that, yeah, that sounds right. And that was never going to work out for my family relationship. I was another dwelling while my wife and kids were... That's the, uh, the non-man cave opportunity. Correct. Right exactly right. So I did the responsible thing. I uh, decided not to do that because uh, I love my wife and kids very much. And <laughs> I didn't want to, you know, uh, create any, any issues there. But instead, we decided just to put that room on Airbnb to see how it would do. So we put it on Airbnb. And next thing we know, this 200 square foot room above our gar- garage... Uh, is paying the mortgage in our house in Midwood. And we're like, okay, wow, there's something here. Uh, And, you know, at this point I was at NBC Sports and I knew this wasn't long-term. I just knew this was part of a transition. I wanted to start my own thing. Uh, And, you know, I had this moneymaker in my backyard. It's like, okay, maybe I can do this at scale. So I got a couple more properties uh, through a model that's called Leads Arbitrage. Basically, I would come to you, Jared, and say, hey, Jared, you have this home that you're looking to rent out. I'll rent it from you but I'll turn it into an Airbnb if you're okay with it. And then, you know, I'll pay you like a regular tenant would, uh, but uh, I'll, ter- I'll have, you know, uh, short-term rental guests stay at the property. And I got a handful of people to bite on that idea. Uh, and what happened was that, you know, I ended up being, being able to generate some significant revenue above what I was paying on these homes. So, you know, that, that got me excited. I knew I was onto something, uh, you know, take, it took some of those incremental steps to realize I was onto a business model, but that's also when we realized that, okay, uh, you know, this is actually quite manual labor intensive. I'm running a geographically dispersed hotel that's throughout the town. This is, I can't do this without some additional support. So I partnered with my co-founder, James Strong, who's our chief technical officer, CTO, to start building out technology in the back end to automate a lot of what we do. Uh, and then we got a little bit through word of mouth. We started getting approached by property investors that would come to us and say, hey, guys, we've heard that you can generate more money off Airbnb than we can off traditional uh, routes, but we don't know how to do it. We don't, we don't know what it all entails. Will you guys help us do it? So we started then taking on clients and turning their properties into short-term rentals as well. Wow. That's, uh, that's an amazing transition. And to go through all of those, uh, I know that you have an engineering degree back from UNCC. So heavy in mathematics, how does that play into your world now on a daily basis? Yeah, I think I actually listened to you guys' uh, podcast with Haley Bohan with Skillpop, uh, and she has got a mechanical engineering background. I think she shared the answer. It's, it's really just a, uh, engineering teaches you to become a problem solver. And once you're an entrepreneur, you really are a problem solver at scale. So uh, really, it just it allowed me to create the problem-solving skill set to really translate that into obviously a different market, different fields different opportunities, but uh, it really kind of built the problem solving, the analytical thinking, the data-driven decision-making uh, to help grow and lo- uh, grow a business. I mean, looking at the, the current climate right now with, with the pandemic and everything that's happened, you, you have businesses of all sizes that have done well, others that have struggled, some that have gone out of business. For you, Talk about the expansion of services due to what's been happening. Yeah, so, uh, you know, everyone knows that, you know, travel stopped pretty pretty severely right in the middle of, I think it was over St. Patty's Day weekend in March, travel stopped completely. And what happened to us is we have a portfolio of homes. At this, at this point, it was about 80 homes um, that uh, Airbnb, and honestly, rightfully, we agreed with this decision, basically told everyone who had a reservation that they would be able to cancel any reservation in the coming few months and get a full refund because they didn't want people to travel. We had stay-at-home orders. 
and we understood that uh, and we realized it was a reality. So what we did is we proactively made our calendars wide available and started marketing our homes, not to short-term tenants, but actually to what we call midterm tenants, tenants that need a home for 14 days to six months. Basically people that were in different unique living situations. So whether they're in between homes that uh, purchased one home, uh, purchased one home, sold another, and they were kind of in between there. If they were moving to town for a few weeks, a lot of what we saw was also, uh, you know, people escaping cities like New York City uh, to try to have quarantine elsewhere. We've had couples that were escaping uh, other countries that were coming here that were U.S. residents that were in other places that were coming back home and needed to self-quarantine. So we started really targeting furnished midterm rentals uh, instead of just having you know, guests that stayed for a couple of days. And our, our average stay length went from two and a half days to about 28 days in length. Um, and we were able to uh, achieve, honestly, record level uh, occupancy across our portfolio. So when you're going through your plans and, and you're looking at scaling, because that was a big part of the idea to, to go with it because you could scale it, did you ever look at maybe what are some outlier scenarios that might put a boom into our business? And was a pandemic one of those on the list? No, I mean, <laughs> well, right. I mean, everyone thinks right now that, you know, uh, no, pandemic was no such a black swan event wasn't. You know, we've talked about different things that could have created, you know, issues, created complications for our business, but nobody was really thinking about a pandemic uh, on any level. Uh, but what we like to do, I mean, we, we, we're creative problem solvers, everyone on the team is. So when we see a, a problem, we try to turn it into an opportunity and we try to, uh, in a sense, pivot a product to best uh, align with the needs of the current situation that we're in. And I think that's what we all as entrepreneurs do. We take in the data that's been given to us and we adjust our offerings to get there. So honestly, none of us really panicked. It was like, okay, this is the new world that we're in. Okay. And this is our product. Let's see how we can fit our product. Uh, to the needs of those that uh, of, the, of the environment that we're in, um, you know. The other thing that I'm really proud of: a lot of times we were also able to have, uh, you know, medical professionals stay at our homes for significantly discounted pricing because they were dealing directly with COVID patients and they didn't want to return home to their families. Uh, and that also felt good that we were part of a part of a solution to what was happening in the world. And you know, um, we always want to be part of the solution, not part of the problem when something like this happens. That makes sense. Yeah. So Amir, you talked about early days that you were worried about, you know, being stretched in with manual labor. But when you look at today and looking to expand markets, I think you you let us know that you were looking at Nashville and Fort Worth as your newest markets. How is uh, how is that coming along, and what's that process like? Yeah. So we actually launched two new markets. Uh, we went into Fort Worth, uh, Texas, and we and then followed that up with Nashville, Tennessee, uh, two weeks ago. So we've expanded geographically during a time where Everyone's kind of scaling back. Uh, and a lot of reason behind that is that we've built uh, technology into our operation that allows us to create, honestly, a COVID-friendly experience, a um, social distance-friendly experience uh, that requires less manpower. If you, so if you're staying in one of our properties, you don't have a check-in desk. What we've done is we've used smart home technology that we install in all our properties that gives you access to the properties during the time period you're supposed to be there uh, and it's the last four digits of your phone number. So anytime you stay on our properties, you have a digital key that you arrive. You don't need to talk to anyone. You go right to the home, you type in the code, uh, and that allows us to track the activity within the home, allows us to dispatch the cleaners, uh, you know, provide any services to the guests without really having to interact with them on a one-on-one -on -one basis. Uh, plus, you know, when you stay at one of our properties, we usually have single family homes of two plus bedrooms or 
apartments of two, three, four bedrooms, um, you know, you actually have a whole home to yourself. So you, you have privacy uh, to yourself. You have a kitchen, you have a living room. It's not like staying in a hotel where you're kind of stuck in this little 200 square foot room with people from all over the world around you. Uh, and you have to go through a, you know, relatively, you know, hands-on check-in process. We automate all of that and we give you more privacy. Uh, everything is uh, interaction free, which has helped us tremendously because we saw the need because people still want to get out and travel, but they want to do it in a safe and smart way. That's awesome. And, you know, the one of the things I always wondered when I thought about doing Airbnb was how do you work with cleaning services? Because are there services that are specifically set for Airbnbs? How does that all work? Because you are having to dispatch them so much more often than you would if it was like your home, you know? Correct. Yeah. I mean, that's another thing that uh, our technology helps us with. So we work with uh, in, in markets like Charlotte, we have our in-house cleaning team. But when we expand into markets like Nashville and Fort Worth, we've partnered with third party vendors, uh, but we provide them the technology that they need to operate. So we don't technically have any Rabu personnel on the ground in those two new markets that we launched. Uh, we handle that remotely from our headquarters here in town, but we have a partner with, uh, with cleaning vendors. So uh, we provide those cleaning vendors with an application where they have to follow, that they follow to know how to enter a property. They're given access to the property only during a time period that they're supposed to be there to clean the property. We give them instructions on how to sanitize the properties, what to do to get them to a standard that is acceptable per CDC guidelines, uh, and to ensure that it's a safe experience. So uh, it takes a lot of vetting, a lot of uh, training, um, and a lot of uh, technology to get them to this point and uh, luckily you know James my co-founder is a developer and we have another developer on the team uh, we've been able to uh, solve that problem through a scalable operation and, and technology so uh, always looking to improve it um, you know finding cleaners is is one of the hardest things that we have to do in this business but uh, I think we're getting there slowly it's a reality during this time that a lot of businesses won't get through this to the other side or they'll be completely different I, I know in your space a lot of competitors have gone out of business and obviously because of a lack of demand, but why else has Rabu been able to succeed? And you've talked to a lot of those, the, the value that you have offered compared to those companies that haven't made it. Correct. Yeah, no, that, that's a great question, Jared. Um, I mentioned early on uh, that when we started the business, what we would do is uh, lease, lease arbitrage units. So we would go to a landlord, we would lease the, pro uh, lease the property from them, we would pay for the furniture to get it set up and we would have it would take us about six to eight months to, to recover our investment of the revenue that we're generating, of the profit that we're generating. Uh, a lot of the more uh, successful, successful in the sense of uh, capital raised, a lot of companies that have raised a lot of capital in our space, uh, some over 100 and $200 million, have focused solely on that model of, hey, we're going to uh, master lease or rent arbitrage 20 to 30 uh, apartments in a new apartment building furnish those and then turn those into short-term rentals, hoping that we can generate more revenue than we owe to the, uh, to the, to the apartment community. But those companies, uh, most of those companies have gone out of business now because their business model wasn't scalable. You know, it was very cash efficient. You really had no assets in your possession. Your biggest assets were furniture and leases, and that's not a true asset that, that holds long-term value. So the debt vehicles for these companies dried up overnight with covid and we then were able to come in with our value add model where we would go to their prior customers and say, we know you work with these guys and they gave you a flat monthly fee for these properties. It's not what we do. We give you a revenue. We do a revenue share with you. So we will manage this. We will do everything that these previous companies did. But 
we will, uh, you know, do, we will take a share of the revenue, but you will get over 80% of the revenue to you. So it's still a value add. We still project, generate them more money than they would have received off long-term tenants. Um, but for us, there's just less risk involved uh, because we don't have, we don't hold leases, liabilities through those. So all the quarantine, yeah, fantastic. You know, we look at uh, the quarantine and we had to stay at home for a while. Uh, we've, all of us have, have kids on this, this podcast and remote learning has, has just begun. Speak to that balancing act uh, for you and what that's like. Yeah, so I've, I have three kids. I have an eight-year-old, uh, a six-year-old, and a two-year-old. And my eight-year-old and six-year-old just went to school this week. You have it pretty much covered there yeah, in those ages. I mean, yeah, so it's, it's been quite unique. You know, uh, not, honestly, I feel for the teachers. I feel for the schools. Nobody really knows yet what, what virtual schooling is going to look like for the next few months. Um, it's been a learning experience for all of us. Um, so, uh, you know, my wife is a nurse, um, and I consider ourselves – fortunate that my wife has a flexible schedule as a nurse. She's able to go into the office every other day or go into the hospital every other day. Uh, she's, uh, in, she's now, she's not dealing with COVID patients. She's in, in a separate cardiac clinic. Um, so she doesn't have a lot of exposure uh, to that, which again, I consider herself lucky. Uh, but uh, I also, you know, the biggest thing is that, you know, we have flexible jobs and we're able to give the, our, our kids the care that they need and we're able to support them through this. It's not easy by any means. Uh, but again, I consider ourselves extremely lucky because I know a lot of people depend on schools for shelter, for food, and, you know, I can't imagine being in that situation. So, um, you know, we're trying to make the best of the situation. One of the things that we're looking at right now as a family is, you know, part of the reason of starting Rabu was to eventually create enough freedom for ourselves to go travel the world as a family uh, and just go see you know, go take a year off, go spend a couple months in Europe, a couple months in Asia, Africa, wherever the case may be. And, you know, the limitations were, you know, financial. There are always financial limitations, but, you know, school and kids and then, uh, you know, my wife's job. Uh, well, now we're in a unique situation where our kids are doing virtual schooling. My, my job is flexible because remote work is very much normalized now. Uh, and, my wife, and so we could actually go places right now and see the world, except for as Americans, we're not allowed. All, all of our schools. restrictions. Yeah, that, <laughs> right. that hurts yeah. us a little bit. It, it does. But so what we've seen and even we've seen in the business and my wife and I as, and as a family are exploring is we could still go somewhere else in the United States for a few months at a time or a few weeks at a time. And, you know, just have a change of scenery. Um, there's this kind of movement that's happening as we speak called digital nomads. So it's basically people that have decided that they don't need to be tied down to any one particular location. They can go live anywhere in the world, not, not as much right now, but at least anywhere in the United States for a few months at a time and have a different quality of life. So, uh, you know, on the business side of things, we're seeing a lot of people get out of New York City, out of San Francisco, some of these metropolis cities that were paying $5,000 a month for a 600 square foot apartment. And for, that's, for less than that, they can spend two months in Charlotte then go two months in Nashville, two months in Austin. They can kind of travel the world because they can work remotely um, and continue to have their job, which is what, what was the requirement for them prior to stay in, in cities like New York and San Francisco. And we're seeing families do the same thing. So we're seeing families that are going out from Charlotte, going to Arizona for a few months, to um, 
to Florida for a few months. Uh, and we're looking into doing some of that same. So uh, it's been a it's been a unique experience. Again, trying to make the best out of a situation that is not ideal for anyone. I need to become a digital nomad for a couple months. How about you, Tim? Yeah, that's for sure. You know what, what's cool about what you're saying is, I always think about you know traveling the world just like you said. But but the idea that there are so many cool places to see in the U.S. that you know your kids would love. I mean, that's always pretty awesome, too. Yeah, I mean, for sure. One of the places we're looking at right now is uh, Arizona, right? Just the topography difference between here and there is just, would just be amazing. We have never been in Arizona. We've heard, heard great things. So we're exploring Arizona. We're exploring Austin, uh, maybe even, you know, Tampa, Florida, just to see, just to have a little bit of a change, change in lifestyle because we can still hit those demands that we have from school and from work uh, and really be anywhere in the world. So, um it's something that our business solves for because we can provide people shelter. And it's something that we are personally as a family looking at, which, you know, I think we're going to see a lot more of that going forward. Um, you know, in, our, in my mind, in the mind of our team is that COVID is really just, you know, it's, it's a terrible thing. Don't get me wrong, but it's accelerating a lot of trends that were already happening. Um, and it's just forcing those trends to happen faster than we anticipated. Uh, and one of that is what we call, you know, flexible living or digital nomads. Yeah, no, that's totally right. And I think uh, the good thing is you're waiting to go to Arizona after the summer, even though it's a dry heat, 120 is pretty, pretty warm. So, the, topography is, the topography is still available. That, right. That's, what, that's but, right, you know, even in the fall. But it's, it's the dry heat. I really want to experience the dry heat after experiencing <laughs> Get rid the, of this the humidity. humidity here, right? You know, let's see. Let's see if you know, everyone says, oh, it's dry heat, it's better heat. You know, I'd like to experience it. And we'll report back. All right, man. Well, we're going to hit some rapid fire, more personalized questions. We like to finish up the podcast with a couple of these. And the first one is always, what motivates you? What motivates me? Oh, man. Um, you know, I have a very interesting background. You know, I'm, I was born and raised in ex-Yugoslavia and Bosnia. Uh, my family, uh, when a war broke out, when a civil war broke out of Bosnia, my family packed up all our things and, you know, we escaped overnight and we, we went as far as into Central Europe as we could. And we ended up in in Germany, I lived there for six years and our visa there expired. And my parents were able to figure out how to get us here legally and get us to the state. So my parents sacrificed a lot. I know that things can change in a dime, you know, in a second. Um, so, you know, knowing how crazy the world can be, uh, I want to make the best out of every situation that we're in. Um, so uh, that's, that's really what motivates me is that knowing that things can change at, in an instant uh, so might as well live life to the fullest while you can. Amen to that. Hobby or fun fact that others wouldn't know about you? Fun fact. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> not as much right now, but I'm a big uh, uh, airline uh, deal finder geek. So there's some websites I follow online. And, uh, you know, again, flexibility allows this, but uh, you know, a lot of times I'll find deals to go to Europe for $200 round trip or to Hawaii for 300 bucks or, uh, so, um, I'm on that. I used to be not as much right now again, cause we can't travel, but I used to go to these websites that I follow at least once a day to see what kind of steals on flights there are, um, out there just because, you know, who doesn't love to travel? So, uh, and like, you know, being an entrepreneur, I want to be, want to be smart about it. So, uh, try to be economical, uh, find great deals. All right, and then always a fun one. What music is on your playlist right now? Oh, man. Uh, so growing up, I was a lot of like uh, 90s and 2000s hip-hop. Um, right now, honestly, it's a lot of uh, Queen and Beatles. So just uh, nice and relaxing, especially during the summertime, and put that, on the, you know, put that on in the house and just 
you know, I think it's just calming and relaxing more so than, you know, uh, 90s hip hop, which is more, uh, uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> more powerful, I guess. Uh, yeah. I like that. Tim can attest to my uh, 60s and 70s yeah. XM on in the office. Yeah, uh, exactly right. For, for multiple days. Well, Mir, we really appreciate your time, uh, your story as well, and for sharing it with us today. Thank you guys for having me. This was a blast. And a reminder for those listening, you can find out more about Spiracle Media by heading to spiraclebuzz.com. I also encourage you to check out the resources tab where you can find blogs, video tips, and more episodes here of The Hive Life. For Amir Dukic and Tim Baer, I'm Jared Latch. Thanks so much for joining us and so long for now. You've been listening to The Hive Life, brought to you by Spiracle Media. Always remember, you can visit spiraclebuzz.com or follow us at Spiracle Media on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn. We'll see you next time on The Hive Life.